Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Wave and a miss. Strike three. Dylan Cease with a flourish. Strikes out Otani for the second time tonight. We're back with more Inside the Clubhouse on Sports Radio 670 The Score and 670thescore.com. And always live on the free Odyssey app presented by Bet Rivers Sportsbook. I like courtesy White Sox Television, NBC Sports Chicago. Jason Benetti on the call. Dylan Cease striking out Shohei Otani. And we're talking a little Cease. And we're talking a little offseason activity here on Inside the Clubhouse alongside Bruce Levine. I'm Mike Esposito, and Bruce, uh, one of the dominoes we're waiting to fall, and we'll see this probably fall after uh, some of the top pitchers signed, but the Dylan Cease trade, uh, which I know that uh, we have been talking about, uh, we'll see when that happens, but the Sox uh, looking to uh, to get a King's ransom for him, and they should. Mike, uh, a lot of people have asked me, well, why do they have to trade him? Why, why are they going to? Well, they don't have to trade him. Uh, obviously... The risk that you run once spring training starts uh, can be something that you really don't want to get involved with because once spring training starts, if injuries start to occur or, um, you know, just little things that occur on the field, you you don't want to get that in the way of what your plan is moving forward. Would they love to have Dylan Cease as a part of the rebuild for the Chicago White Sox? Of course. Why Why wouldn't you? But is it realistic to think that in two years uh, this team is going to be a competitive championship team? Certainly nobody believes that in 2024. 2025, maybe. But again, you're facing a situation where he's now going to be a free agent after that season. So the smart money is on him being traded before spring training begins. And and that's just, it just makes sense for the Chicago White Sox. It's, it's not a great place to be uh, considering that the White Sox, you know, were picked to be championship caliber teams uh, a year ago and two years ago, and they, they won a division in 2021, but nonetheless, uh, that's ancient history now, Mike. Absolutely. Bob Costas joining us in a few minutes. Uh, we're talking to you now at 312-644-6767. Out in Pingree Grove, Ken has been holding patiently. We appreciate it. Ken, you're on Inside the Clubhouse. Oh, hey, guys. I uh, love the show. Uh, Bruce, you just uh, made a lot of points that I would argue with you, but as a 60-year Sox fan just turned 70, I'm not ready yet 
to pull the plug on this team. I want three more months. I think right now teams like the Dodgers and the Orioles are leveraging against the White Sox because they have to justify Cease and Eloy's performance from 2023. What I would like to see is actually Sox be buyers at this time. Go get Shane Bieber for a one- or two-year contract. Get Whit Minifield to play second base for the next two years. If the Sox stink again by the All-Star break, then you trade them. But right now, there's so many teams that are all in. The Dodgers, the, as the uh, Baltimore manager said, there's four teams in the American League East. These guys are all in. And if Cease is pitching even ha- you know, halfway near his potential, they will be able to get as much for Cease then as they can now. And obviously, the Dodgers and the Orioles aren't willing to give up their young prospects right now because they're, they're arguing against their 23 performance. So to me, let's give them another three months before you blow the whole darn thing up again. Thanks for your opinion, uh, Ken. You know, Mike, you, you can't afford the risk and injury, okay? If you have your ideas set on moving forward, getting better over the next couple of years, this is the guy you have to trade, and you got to get the optimum amount uh, for him. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a noble idea to think this team could compete this year. What, what are you really competing for, the uh, central division? Okay, I think it's winnable, like uh, Ken said, if – you add two or three pieces, but wh- where are you going from there? Are you winning the championship with this team? I don't think so. No. 2024 is going to be a rebuild year for the Sox. I agree with you wholeheartedly. They have to trade Cease and get whatever they can for him. Um, and I'm wondering, too, as as we talk about offseason and the Cubs, we've you know talked about this many times, have yet to do anything at the major league level with a, with a roster move. Uh, I believe they're the only team that hasn't done that we will be at Cubs convention next weekend. The score will be Parkins and Spiegel Friday afternoon from 2 to 6, and then inside the clubhouse on Saturday morning. We'll be there all weekend. Uh, it's it's going to be an interesting atmosphere there at Cubs convention if the Cubs still haven't made any moves by then, don't you think? Uh, absolutely, Mike. And uh, talk about that and a lot more things coming up here on Inside the Clubhouse as we welcome the Hall of Famer, one of the great broadcasters in the history of um, – of sports, Bob Costas, our guest next on Inside the Clubhouse. He's Mike. I'm Bruce. It is Inside the Clubhouse. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Listen to every MLB game live. The deep left center field, it is high, it is far, it is gone. Stream minor league affiliates. The Midwest League home run leader. And watch the best baseball highlights and look-ins on MLB Big Inning. MLB at-bat is your all-in-one live baseball subscription for only $3.99 per month. Deep left field, it's going to go. Alvarez ties the game. Subscribe to at-bat within the MLB app today. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. But the real essence of baseball and the real connection to the audience 
is it the unique day-in, day-out nature of baseball, especially on the radio, where the announcer isn't just a good broadcaster. He has to be a good companion to his audience, and he's connected to that team and its fortunes day in, day out, year in, year out. And Pat has that credential. We're back with more Inside the Clubhouse on Sports Radio 670 The Score and 670thescore.com. And always live on the free Odyssey app presented by Bet Rivers Sportsbook. That's Bob Costas, the Hall of Famer, talking about our very own Hall of Famer, Pat Hughes, here on the home of the Cubs, 670 The Score. This is Inside the Clubhouse, Bruce Levine, Mike Esposito, and we are very excited to talk to Bob. We go on out to the Score Hotline, presented by Circa Sports Illinois. And we bring in a guy that, uh, Mike, I was listening to in 1978 and uh, part of 1979 when I was living in southern Illinois, and I'd turn on KMOX. And there was this young broadcaster doing sports shows and doing some uh, play-by-play along the line. And uh, he, I said, you know what? This guy is really interesting. He, he brings up some great points. Uh, I talked about being uh, you know, Syracuse and learning his trade there. And now we are fortunate enough, 45 years later, to talk about the one and only Bob Costas joining on Inside the Clubhouse. Good morning, Bob. How are you today? Hi, Bruce. Hi, yeah. Bruce. Hi, Mike. Yeah, it's it's great having you on. Uh, does that seem uh, like a long time ago to you, KMOX? It seems like, it seems like a very long time. You know, you're supposed to say, gee, it seems like it was just yesterday. <laughs> no, it seems like it was decades ago because it was. Yeah, absolutely. Bob, uh, when, we, when you talk, let's start the conversation with, uh, you know, uh, the Otani signing and um, – mm-hmm. The marketing of baseball players as they are these days. My contention is is that baseball has been far behind other sports as far as marketing the players for whatever reason, whether it's uh, the economics or the, the salaries or whatever down the line. Your, your impression of uh, the Otani signing, uh, how that impacts the game of baseball, what they should do with players like this as far as marketing goes. Well, there is no player other than Otani like Otani. Even the other great players, the Aaron Judges, the Mike Trouts, when healthy, Bryce Harper, who's dynamic, whoever you want to name, Otani is, and this adjective has been applied to him many times, is a unicorn. And that's why his signing and the team that signed him, the Dodgers in Southern California, with their resources, with their reach, with their national and now international brand, the Dodgers are in a better position to justify that investment than other teams, even wealthy teams, would be. And then on top of it, the way they and Otani structured the deal actually makes sense for both parties. But I've said this before, and by the way, just as an aside, and you guys know this, it used to be someone like me comes on your show and you're talking to the Chicago audience. Now it's a guarantee, not a possibility, a guarantee that if you have any visibility at all, everything you say will be repurposed and all the nuance and tone will go out of it. And so the last time someone asked me about Otani, I said what I'm about to say now, no one approaches Michael Jordan in any team sport. Internationally, there are some soccer stars who do, but no one approaches, and Muhammad Ali back in the day in a different way, but no one in American team sports approaches Michael Jordan. But Shohei Otani is as close as baseball can come to that 
in the present day, which is to say that he has value to the league, just like Michael Jordan had value to the league beyond his value to the Chicago Bulls. So Otani's value is, yes, primarily to the Dodgers, but he also has tremendous value to Major League Baseball. Part of the problem, if you want to call it a problem, the nature of baseball is, let's say you're watching a football game and you like Patrick Mahomes. He handles the ball on every snap when Kansas City is on the field. Michael Jordan touched the ball on almost every trip up and down the floor. That's kind of the nature of it. You know, in hockey, whether it's Patrick Kane or Wayne Gretzky, whoever you want to name, they got the puck. They're on the ice a lot. Baseball player gets four or five turns at bat. Otani gets more than that because he also pitches. So that's what sets him apart. But what you also can't guarantee, even with the expanded playoff structure, you can't guarantee that a baseball player gets deep into the postseason or gets to the postseason at all. Otani is in much better shape regarding that as a Dodger than as an Angel. You know, you think of Trout, three playoff games in his whole now lengthy career. Otani, zero. Back in the day when Ken Griffey Jr. was the most popular player, not just among the greatest, but the most popular player in all of baseball, the Mariners never got him to the World Series. He never set foot in the World Series. Uh, McGuire and Sosa in 98 didn't get to the World Series. But until Otani, McGuire and Sosa were probably, regardless of how we view it now through the rearview mirror, that summer of 98, McGuire and Sosa made baseball bigger, not just in St. Louis, not just in Chicago. It was, there was national focus and real passion surrounding, surrounding that. Uh, if Otani and the Dodgers get to the World Series, it's a different landscape now and media is different. But that's the closest thing that baseball can come to that McGuire-Sosa summer and to what Michael Jordan represented to the NBA and what Otani potentially can represent to MLB, not just the Dodgers. Talking to Bob Costas here on Inside the Clubhouse, the Hall of Famer. And, Bob, we talk about the the magic of the game and the rules changes, lowering the, the game times uh, mm-hmm. by about 25 minutes and the success uh, or the the uh, what looks to be successive of that in in doing just that. How is your view of that, and do you feel that that is has been helpful in in getting more eyeballs on the game and building more interest in the game? I think it's been very helpful, and I've been saying this for a decade prior to the changes. Uh, this is the phrase I've always used, and many people have probably heard it uh, before. Baseball's supposed to have a pleasing leisurely pace. It's not supposed to have a plodding, lethargic pace. And they improved that tremendously, not just pairing 25 minutes or so off uh, the average length of game. They virtually eliminated the three-and-a-half or more than that hour-long regular season game, a nine-inning game that used to go three-and-a-half hours or more. There were dozens and dozens, if not hundreds of them, as recently as 2022. There were fewer than 10 of them in 2023. So it isn't just that the average length of time has been reduced. You've eliminated those really ridiculously lengthy games on the one hand, and it's the pace within the game. Even if you're not watching the whole nine innings, you drop in for three innings, the pace of that feels better than what the relatively recent history tells us the pace of baseball was. So I think it's an overwhelming success. Bob, uh, 40 years ago, this coming June, you uh, had uh, 
the privilege mm-hmm. of uh, calling the Sandberg game, and or we can say that Sandberg and the Cubs and the Cardinals had the privilege of you and Tony Kubek calling that game on that magical. No, I think you had. It. I think you had it right the first time. <laughs> we had the privilege of being there. <laughs> we, June... we were incidental, but happy to be there. So. Um, I, I had the privilege of getting to know you very well beginning in that time, as well as uh, Tony. Uh, how, in your opinion, has calling a baseball game changed since you began at your height back then and continue to call Major League Baseball games on MLB Network? I think the fundamentals of it are still the same. A national broadcast is distinct from a local broadcast, which we could talk about in chapter and verse Uh, if you had the time, but let's leave it aside for now. Uh, Just the shorthand, the local broadcaster is there day in, day out, different relationship with the audience. The national broadcaster not only has a different relationship to the audience, he has a different responsibility to the national audience in terms of familiarizing them in some sense with the storylines around the two teams. Um, Analytics is a bigger part of it than it used to be, but even as recently as 40 years ago on the Game of the Week, I used to reference Bill James, who actually started the analytics revolution. It was called Sabermetrics then, and he used to publish something called the Bill James Baseball Abstract. And I thought many of his ideas were interesting. And in a shorthand fashion, I worked some of them into the broadcasts uh, in the 1980s on the Game of the Week with Tony Kubek. But when you talk about the Sandberg game, and to show you how it still resonates there have been at least three documentaries made about the game because I've been interviewed for all of them. That's, that's how important that game remains, and that has nothing to do with, uh, with analytics or anything else. It's timeless. It's 1984. There are no lights at Wrigley Field, but even now with lights, it's Saturday afternoon. It's not likely to be an afternoon game. Um, it was the Cubs and the Cardinals. That elevates it because of the rivalry and the geographic proximity uh, and all that that entails. A beautiful day. And the game had so many ups and downs. It wasn't just what Sandberg did against Suter. Willie McGee hit for the cycle. Ozzie Smith predictably made a couple of eye-opening plays. Uh, Whitey Herzog had Suter in there for three innings. That's not going to happen anymore. So Suter's in there in the ninth when Sandberg homers, and he's in there in the tenth when he homers again to tie the game. Uh, So many different elements at play, and one that's very important is that it truly was the game of the week. The media landscape has changed so much. The NBC Saturday game of the week was an institution which got ratings then sometimes higher than what some postseason games get now. Um, Superstations had just started. Harry Carey was becoming a national legend not just a St. Louis or Chicago legend because of the Superstation. And the Braves had a Superstation, but you still didn't have a Major League Baseball network. You didn't have people with their phones accessing every highlight. So the game of the week was important. If you lived in a non-MLB city, that was your one chance to see a big league game that week. Or if you lived in a National League city, your one chance to see the Yankees or Red Sox. Or in an American League city, your one chance to see the Cardinals or the Braves or whatever it might be. So it had a different kind of standing. The players used to call it the game of the world. When they'd see Vin and Joe or me and Tony at the batting cage on Friday, they'd say, oh, we're the game of the world tomorrow because much of the baseball world was watching those games. And as it turned out, as you guys well know, this launched Sandberg's 
MVP season. It put the Cubs on the map nationally. They'd seemingly come out of nowhere, and they came within a game of getting to the World Series, winning the division. It revived baseball in Chicago, or at least was a centerpiece that whole season to reviving Cubs baseball. And it's the signature game of a Hall of Fame career. It's the best regular season game I've ever had the privilege, uh, almost memorable, that I've ever had the privilege of broadcasting. And it's the only regular season game other than the George Brett Pine Tar game that I can think of that actually has a name. Yeah, that great point. Bob Costas joining us for a few more minutes here on Inside the Clubhouse. And Bob, I want to ask you about it because you mentioned it there in terms of how uh, people are consuming the game now. And I know as as the parent of three kids, a lot of it is on their phones. It's highlights. It's clips. Mm-hmm. It's not sitting down and watching the whole game like like you and I did and and everybody else on the kid, whether it was listening to it on the radio or watching it on television. As baseball goes forward and as as we go forward in time, how do you see that consumption happening? What, what are your thoughts on, I mean, because kids nowadays, they, it's on their phone. Yeah, I, I still think that the dynamics of how you broadcast the game remain the same. How it's diced and spliced afterwards is a different thing. Um, but I think your game broadcast still has to take into account what's the narrative of this game, what's the backstory, all those things. It's a more anecdotal and conversational broadcast than football, basketball, or hockey tend to be. So from that standpoint, how it's presented is largely the same. How it's then represented or repackaged is different. And baseball, like every other sport, has to be mindful of that. They have to be mindful of streaming. They have to be mindful of differing viewing patterns uh, and take that into account as they try and market their sport. Bob, in closing, uh... Mike and I really appreciate your time. I have uh, one more question for you. Sure. A, a young uh, Bob Costas, maybe in 1960, collecting Topps baseball cards, maybe for the first time, uh, mm-hmm. had uh, there was a manager's set. And at and that year, for the first time in history and still to today, uh, Jimmy Dykes was traded for Joe Gordon from Detroit to Cleveland yeah. and, and back uh, as the only manager trade in history. This year with uh, Craig Council replacing David Ross, not quite the same dynamic, but nonetheless uh, kind of shocking in the baseball world. Your take on uh, Council replacing David Ross? Well, it doesn't just involve the Brewers and the Cubs. It involves the Mets. When David Stearns came in to, in effect, run the franchise, whatever the title is, he's in effect the president slash GM, uh, you don't replace Buck Showalter in the second year or after the second year of a three-year deal, a disappointing year, yes, but he's a four-time manager of the year, and the year before they won 101 games, you don't replace Buck Showalter unless you're virtually certain you're going to get Craig Council because not only is he highly regarded, but he and Stearns have that kind of relationship. And then under the radar, I mean, no one even talked about Council possibly coming to the Cubs, and obviously they had clandestine meetings uh, council and his representatives played it perfectly. Uh, they established the interest in him beyond Milwaukee retaining him. And then they found the situation that Craig finally probably finds more to his liking. I mean, it's not like he's living at home, but there's proximity to Milwaukee. The Cubs have a chance to be competitive. Maybe he didn't want to be in the, the kind of crazy, chaotic 
baseball world of New York with all the media and whatnot. Not that Chicago can't be tough. I'm not trying to say that Chicago is podunk. It obviously isn't. But but obviously, uh, New York is a whole different situation. Uh, so, you know, Craig, Craig played this perfectly. And I also think this. People say, wow, $8 million or whatever it is for a manager. Um, root players that are average or less than average routinely sign for more than that and no one bats an eye. Someone who's going to go 10 and 9 with an ERA of 4.30 signs for $12 million and nobody thinks anything of it. Why then, considering the importance of a manager, wouldn't you pay top dollar for a top guy? Not for an unproven guy or just an average guy, but for a top guy. It makes perfect sense. If you're not willing, with all this kind of payroll investment in players, if you're not willing to spend that way for a manager, it's like saying, yeah, I'm going to spend three grand on this tuxedo, but never mind the shoes. (laughs) You know, never mind the shoot, never mind the cufflinks. I can't be bothered with that. <laughs> no accessories, Bob. Uh, we appreciate your time, and you know your friendship over the years has meant an awful lot to me. And uh, we certainly appreciate your time today. Uh, look forward to all your contributions coming up on MLB Network again in 2024. Keep up the great work, and uh, thanks again for joining us today, Bob. Thank you, Bruce. Thank you, Mike. Happy New Year. Same to you. The great Bob Bob Costas. Costas. Always a thrill, Bruce, to talk to Bob. And I know you've known him, as you just said, for for many years. And and it makes me feel it doesn't seem I I will use Bob's line. Exactly. It doesn't seem that long ago. And yet it was that long ago. That Samberg game. It's 40 years ago this season in June of 24. That's 40 years. I remember it like it was yesterday watching that game. People should remember that next week we will be broadcasting live from the Cub Convention on Friday afternoon and then again on Saturday morning and inside the clubhouse. So be uh, joint, come and look for us at uh, the Cub Convention. Listen to the show here. Certainly it's always uh, fun to broadcast from there, Mike. And uh, we're going to uh, continue to that tradition of the score being at the Cub Convention. Absolutely. And we have a a really great contest going on, Bruce, uh, giving our listeners a heads up on that. If you're a local business owner or employee, how would you like to have your commercial air during Super Bowl 58 right here on the score? This is your chance. We've launched a new contest called Score Big for your business where you can enter to win a 30 second Super Bowl commercial on the scores broadcast of Super Bowl 58 from Westwood One. Log on to 670thescore.com slash contest to enter now and learn more details. Deadline to enter is January 19th. So that was uh, a great conversation with Bob Bruce and certainly um, interesting to hear his take on uh, the the manager situation. I think uh, a lot of Cubs fans were surprised by the move, certainly uh, didn't see it coming, but uh, I personally am excited to see what what Craig Council will bring to the Cubs. Well, the perspective, uh, you know, I, I use the same perspective as Bob has before. The $8 million for a baseball team where you have a, a backup infielder making that, you, you're signing fifth starters to uh, make more money than that. Why wouldn't you have the guy that handles everything on a daily basis, tries to keep everybody in line and happy for 200 days out of the year to a, a contract that's, Similar to that. And again, as Bob pointed out, and as we know, there's no guarantee that Craig Council will be here for five years, okay? Uh, no, no matter how good you are or how great 
your resume has been. It's what have you done for me lately? And that's basically what we're talking about with hiring managers as well in Major League Baseball now, Mike. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting uh, orientation, I guess you can call it, uh, getting counsel in. And I'm sure he's already been doing that with the front office. But meeting with the players and seeing how it goes in spring training. We know he's a pro. We know he's a very smart guy. Uh, you heard that from his initial press conference. I know you've talked to him a number of times over the years uh, as a player and both uh, as a manager with the Brewers as well. Um, but we'll see We'll see uh, his effect on the Cubs. Rossi certainly, uh, I think, was a positive in that clubhouse, both as a player and as a manager. Uh, but, uh, you know, when you feel that, the guy is the best in the business, as as the Cubs clearly did with Council. Then, I, I mean, kudos to them for going out and getting him. It's it shows uh, that you're going to move aggressively to to meet your goals. Well, why not bring Rossi back as a broadcaster? Right? If now, now people will be driving off the road saying, "Well, that's stupid." <laughs> and, and the reality is, is that when Jim Fry was fired by the Chicago Cubs in 1986, right? Um, yep. You know, after winning a division, the first playoff uh, appearance by the Cubs in 39 years in 1984, uh, two years later, and then he's fired in 86. Gene Michaels brought in. Who's brought in to do the color commentary for uh, WGN Radio? None other than Jim Fry. Okay, so uh, if it could happen 36 years ago, uh, it could happen today as well, Mike. Uh, uh David Ross is going to broadcast somewhere in 2024 uh, as to whether it's uh, ESPN, local broadcasts, other national broadcasts. He's that talented. He's that well thought of out there. And by probably 2025, he'll be back in somebody's dugout. Yeah, no, and that was uh, one of my interesting takeaways from our conversation with Orioles skipper Brandon Hyde in the last hour is, you know, he mentioned how how well versed Rossi is in the game of baseball, and we saw him before he became the Cubs manager doing national broadcasts. I I would love to see, and I will be uh, eagerly awaiting uh, his decision in terms of what he decides to do uh, this year. Don't expect him to rush into anything, but uh, would love to to hear from him on a broadcast. And wouldn't it be funny if it was a Cubs broadcast. I know Cubs fans would be very uh, happy to hear from him, I'm sure, as well. In the last couple of minutes, Mike, you know, uh, Bob Costas alluded to the fact that, you know, uh, Otani is the closest thing to Michael Jordan that baseball has had uh, and continue to have. With that in mind, um, the one thing that's missing is Otani will speak when he feels like it. Michael Jordan was there selling the NBA, the Bulls, the brand every single game after the game until every reporter was done talking to him. He would spend 40 minutes after every game talking about that game, talking about himself and his teammates, talking about the Chicago Bulls, something that we will not be able to expect from Shohei Otani from his uh, previous way of dealing with media. Yeah, no, it's, it's definitely a great point, Bruce. And, and he, Otani's lack of uh, media availability, promotion, whatever you want to call it. We've heard the same thing about Mike Trout over the years, right? I mean, when Trout was in his prime and you wanted to try to build around him uh, or, or kind of promote him as a league, he did not. He just didn't do it, right? I mean, didn't do it. Mike, uh, we have a lot of people to thank, including our great producers, Robbie Torino and Sean Sears. Job well done. 
We thank Brandon Hyde, the manager of the Baltimore Orioles, the one and only great Hall of Famer, Bob Costas. Your contributions not always uh, appreciated as much as they should be, but uh, they are here. I always call you the Ben Zobrist of the score because you do everything so well, Mike. Uh, people can follow me on Twitter at MLB Bruce Levine. On our website at 670thescore.com, we will see you next week live from the Cub Convention. Join us Friday and Saturday. It'll be fun. Mike, have a great week. You too, Bruce. Appreciate the Ben Zobers comment. I will take it. Don't forget, later this afternoon, you'll be able to hear the NF doubleheader right here on 670 The Score. First up, Steelers at Ravens, followed by Texans at Colts. Our doubleheader coverage starts at 3 on The Score and the Odyssey app. And coming up next, DePaul Buckets, DePaul and Georgetown. For Bruce Levine, I'm Mike Esposito. Thanks for listening to Inside the Clubhouse here on 670 The Score. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.